but um, I'm just going to touch on a lot of things. I'm just hoping that it'll, if, if it's a subject that you're interested about, you'll pick up some extra information and get, get your appetite will be whetted and you'll be want to do some more research. So in that regard, I put the books that I looked at at the back so you have some resources to look at. And of course, the best resources are Bibles. So anyway, um, the first question I have on um, your sheet, just to get things going, is um, when you think of angels, what do you think of? Just what is your first impression? If you, what do you think about angels? Just share around your table. Everybody share a quick thought about what you think about them. All of that was not taped. <laughs> Forgot. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on to tell us how to put on that full armor of God. So Paul is, is, is saying that, yes, there is this, this whole other realm that we're not aware of that's going on. And that is where our real struggle ha- goes, happens. Today we're also looking at Michael. Um, I'm skipping around a little bit here. But, but Michael's, the Archangel Michael is also, um, in the New Testament, we said that he's the one that's going to fight that final battle. But he's also going to accompany Jesus at his, on his return. It says that in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel. So we know that, um, that uh, Jesus, at that time of the, um, the rapture, will come back. And Michael will be a part of that too. So we see him in all these amazing, powerful times in history. The reason I wanted to talk about Michael is I wanted to use him just to lead in to um, the story of angels because God not only created us, he not only redeemed us, he not only put into us the blessed Holy Spirit, but he also created this whole other realm of beings known as angels. And he created those angels to fight for us, to do battle for us in that spiritual realm. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit more closely today. Um, I, um, I don't. I asked myself as I was studying this, um, you know, why did I really get interested in studying about angels? I don't know if you're like me, but you. Um, but we see all around us. Here we are on the eve of Halloween, the the All Saints Day, the day that has now been um, warped into a a holiday for demons and satans and things like that. Um, we see all around us this interest in demonic activity. We see interest in evil things, in werewolves, and stuff that, that um, is uncomfortable for us. I can't even look at an advertisement for a movie about any kind of demon-possessed something. It just makes me feel so queasy. And I, I've been taught in, to, to study scripture about, or to pray to God about um, um, his protection from demon, demonic activity. His protection from anything that Satan has. I think about that a lot. And that it's in my prayers all the time. But as I was thinking about angels, I, I came to the realization that I really don't think about ministering spirits that are out there. That there's this invisible world that are there to help us. The positive side of studying about um, angels. And um, I've been started to ask myself, are they really for me? Are they really... Um, something that I can have around me? Is it, is it real or is it fiction? Or I just wanted to know what the Bible had to say about that. And I'm just going to ask you today for your, your next question. What do you think? Do you think more about demons and demonic activity? Or do you think more about the possibility of angels be around you? And um, if neither, um, why or why not? Um, so just go ahead and talk a little bit about that. What is, where, where's your mindset on this whole thing? I would love to be able to hear what all you're saying on your table. It's just kind of fun to hear kind of some of the stuff that's going on is out there. Um, this, is, this is a show of hands. How many of you would say you, you more of you think about the demonic side or the, the, the dark side? How many of you think more about think more about angels than the demonic side? So a lot of you do. How many really don't think much about that whole spiritual warfare stuff? Honest, yeah. Or try not to. Try not to think about that. 
Well, there uh, there aren't a whole lot of books about it that I wanted to that I would really trust. I think we'll, I, I want to let you know that when I went to study the subject, I really wanted to be um, go to the authentic source, which is the Bible. But there are a few other sources that I, I did trust that also are based on biblical, and one of them was um, Billy Graham's book on angels. He wrote this back in 1975. Um, and uh, so that's a long time ago. But he's updated it since then. And he, when he did that study, he said it was one of the most fascinating things he's ever studied. And I trust him as a source. There are a lot of other New Agey things out there that I just didn't want to go there. Or even the stories of angels. If I didn't know the source of that person, I, didn't, I, I wouldn't trust it. And I wouldn't want to bring it to you. Um, I want it to only be authentic of what, what the Bible says about it. Um, and in a- Billy Graham's book on angels... This is one of the things that he wrote about, why he wrote about angels. And it says um, here, and I think it's important to just hear what this great man of God has to say about it. He says, and I quoted part of it, but rest other stuff here you don't have on your notes. So, Because all the powers of the evil world system seem to be preying on the minds of people already disturbed and frustrated in our generation. Now this is 1975. I believe the time has come to focus on the positives of the Christian faith. John the Apostle said, greater is he that is in you, in me. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Meaning, he that is in us. 1 John 4, 4. Satan is indeed capable of doing supernatural things. But he acts only on the permissible will of God. He is on a leash. It is God who is all-powerful. It is God who is omnipotent, meaning everywhere. God has provided Christians with both offensive and defensive weapons. We are not to be fearful. We are not to be distressed. We are not to be deceived. Nor are we to be intimidated. Rather, we are to be on our guard, calm and alert. As it says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So he's telling us we need to be alert. One of Satan's sly devices is to divert our minds from the help God offers us in our struggles against the forces of evil. However, the Bible testifies that God has provided assistance for us in our spiritual conflicts. We are not alone in this world. The Bible teaches us that God's Holy Spirit has been given to empower us and guide us. So we we know we have the, the Holy Spirit to empower us and guide us. But in addition... The Bible, in nearly 300 different places, also teaches that God has countless angels at his command. Not at our command, but at God's command. Furthermore, God has commissioned these angels to aid his children in their struggles against Satan. I, Billy Graham, am convinced that these heavenly beings exist and that they provide unseen aid on our behalf. I do not believe in angels because someone has told me about a dramatic visitation from an angel, impressive as such rare testimonies may be. I do not believe in angels because I have ever seen one because I haven't. I believe in angels because the Bible says there are angels. And I believe the Bible to be the true word of God. I, Billy Graham, believe in angels because I have sensed their presence in my life on special occasions. I just thought that was really interesting. Okay, we've talked overall, but I want to get a little more specific about these angels. What are some of their characteristics? What, do we, what does the Bible say about them? Um, and there was so much, I just, just picked a few things. The first, that verse there that I've, I've put on your paper, I just think it's the key verse there. It says, Are not all angels ministering spirits? sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Several things I noticed there. They're all ministering spirits. They're spiritual. In their natural state, they are spiritual beings. They can appear as humans. Um, I think of the story of Lot. That story where he, when they came, two two men showed up at his door right before the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot fed them like people, protected them like humans, he had no idea that they were anything other than just normal men. But they were angels, the Bible tells us. And that's found in Genesis 19.1. Um, and I think that's the part that can really drive us crazy. Because we may have encountered an angel. I mean, we don't know. We may have encountered an angel. Um, remember what um, 
what Paul says, and let's look at that in Hebrews 13, verse 2. If you want to turn to your Bibles in Hebrews. And he's talking there, he, the, and I, I said Paul, it's not Paul speaking here. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but um, it says in Hebrews 13, verse 2, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I just think that's just such a fascinating thing to think about, that maybe um, you have had an angel experience you don't even know about, because they can appear just as humans. Um, also, I wanted to go one of, uh, back one of your blanks that I left. But angels are created by God. Um, they, are, they weren't always here. They were created by God. Turn back in your Bible a little bit to Colossians 1, verses 16. What I inter- what I notice too is you study angels. They're just they're just throughout the scriptures, but there's just like one sentence about them. It's not like you get a whole lesson plan on what about angels. It's just a little bit here, a little bit there. So, um, but Colossians one verse sixteen. This is this is Paul speaking here. It says, "For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth." Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So this includes the angels, the angel beings. God created them. But he created them, if you'll notice, they were created, all things were created for God. Not necessarily for us. For God, at his discretion, at his disposal. So one, angels are created by God. Angels have the ability to change their appearance in in the natural state. They are spiritual beings, but they can also appear as humans. That's what we looked at. I thought this was just an interesting side note. My third point, God has given them no ability to reproduce. They they have absolutely no ability to reproduce. Um, They neither marry nor are given in marriage. Let's, uh, well, I don't, we don't have to turn to it, but it, that's, it's talking about there that, um, where they, they, they're, they just, they can't re- reproduce. Um, so what that means is that when God created angels, he created them all at the same time. We know there were at least a third of them that were the fallen angels, but they've been in existence since the beginning of that created time when God created them. Which brings me to the next point, the empire of angels is very vast. It's humongous. It's huge. It's something we can't even imagine. Well, let's look at some of these scriptures. I think it's just fun to see. We're look at go back to Hebrews again. And I think I put a lot of these in your notes just so you'd have them to but I think it's it's neat to see them from the actual scripture. The references around them. Hebrews 12 verses 22. says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the heavenly home, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. I just love that, that vision, the, the heavenly home where there will be thousands upon thousands of angels. In Revelation 5.11, it goes on and it says... And I'm going to pull that one up again, too. I don't know if I have the whole passage when I, that I copied, so I'm going to look. It's just 5.11. It says, Then I looked up and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. 
They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Thousands upon ten thousands. Huge amounts. And then Matthew 26, 53, this is when Peter cuts off the ear and um, Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? He's acknowledging that these angels are out there for his help. Jesus' words, um, this, is, this were his words in that garden at his arrest, when he was arrested. And then let's, um, and then the last verse that I referenced here is the Lord is in Second Thessalonians one seven, and you don't need to look to this one either. But the Lord Jesus Himself will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire with His powerful angels. So it's when He comes back, there'll be multitudes of angels around Him. The other, uh, another characteristic of angels is they have great power. I love the story. Um, at Jesus' resurrection. And this is the story where Mary and, and Mary Magdalene come back to the tomb. And it says there that um, um, where the, the angel turns back the stone. Let's look at that. Let's turn to Matthew. We're going to turn to this one, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7. Because this one is, again, there's such, we get the visual in this description. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7. This is after Jesus was placed in the tomb, after his death. Matthew 28, it starts out, it says, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. How clever. He's sitting there up there on that stone. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook, became like dead men. Then again, they're, they're just terrified of this sight. Sometimes angels appeared in a normal sight, it's just a normal human. But many times we see in this glorified state. And this is one of those occasions where he was appeared like lightning. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. Here they're having a normal conversation again. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There, there you will see him. Now I have told you. So here's this messenger having, or this angel as a messenger coming to give this this message to Mary and Mary Magdalene. Um, but it also shows the great power that this angel had. For Jesus didn't need the the, the stone to be removed. He could have, he, he could appear however he wanted to in his resurrected state. He didn't need to have that stone moved. But for Mary and Mary Magdalene's um, and the, the guards that witnessed it they could see the power of this angel had to remove this huge stone. There have been people that tried to calculate how large the stone was. It was massive. Um, But this this angel, it was nothing for him to move it. Um, I want to get a little into what do do, um, angels do? What is their purpose? What are they here for? What do they do? Um, I think it's interesting to know that they have ministry both in heaven... And they ministry here on earth. So they're, they're, they can be spiritual, uh, in, in the spiritual realm, both heaven and, and uh, in function on the earth. Um, one of the main things that they are is divine messenger, messengers. Just like we saw, they had a message for Mary and Mary Magdalene. And, um, and that's how most of us think of them, isn't it? I mean, we think of um, the message that came to Mary, that she was with child. The message that came to Zechariah, that he was, with, that he was going to have a son also. Um, John the Baptist. It came to the angel, when I was thinking of uh, those shepherds out in the, um, the field, why angels would come to just ordinary shepherds. It's just, it's amazing to me. I just think that it's um, um, just because they're just such real normal people. They aren't these 
big characters in the Bible, but just normal people, these angels came to them with a message. Um, so that's one of the first things that they are, um, is they're messengers. Um, they also are worshipers. I've talked to you before about one of my favorite passages, which is Isaiah 6, about the seraphs that are in heaven and how they're around the throne room of God and they're worshiping God and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. They're reporting what they're seeing from, from the earth to God and they're just in this magnificent state. In, in Hebrew, in this, this passage, uh, the passage of Isaiah, they, they have six wings, it goes on to say. So they have the six, two wings to cover their face because they can't even look at the glory of God. The magnificence of Him. They have two, two wings that cover their feet. They have two wings with which to fly. So they're, they're kind of, this, these seraphs, which is the only time they're called seraphs in the Bible, they're just kind of these, um, these characters are hard to even envision. They aren't, our minds don't even go there, someone with six wings. But they're magnificent, and they're worshiping God. Um, and that's their primary purpose, is to worship God. Angels are also protectors. Um, and I love this part. One of my favorite memories of my trip um, to Africa um, was when um, I went with a bunch of ladies, a lot of you that are in this room. Patty was leading it. And um, she had been speaking throughout a week, uh, two or three times a day. And um, but at the very end of this week, this exhaustingly for her in the heat of the day, she was to give a worship service. Um, for anybody who wanted to come on a Sunday morning. She woke up with a massive headache, I remember, and she was exhausted. And we, as a, as a team, prayed for her, obviously, but um, and she went out to the field where we were, she was going to give the worship service. It was just this beautiful sight. There, it was an open, grassy field, and there were these huge trees that were blooming some kind of purple flower, I don't know, that was huge arching trees over this huge open field, and um, people came from everywhere, walked miles to get to this worship service. Men, women, children came to this worship service where Patty was speaking. And during the entire worship service, there were these dear, wonderful, beautiful African women that stationed themselves throughout around the whole um, group, the, just all the way around this huge circle, a massive group of people. And they would be praying for Patty the whole time she was speaking. And then they would move to another, they would pray for a little while, and then they would move to the next position, and they would station themselves there for a while and pray. And throughout the whole time that she was speaking, they continued to surround her and move around this gathering of people. It was just a beautiful sight. It was just an amazing thing to see. It's, one of my, it's my favorite memory from that whole experience. But I think that is a picture of what angels can be doing for us, too, as our protectors. They can completely surround us when we don't even know it. And that, just that visual of having this, this protection, protective wall around us. I want to look at a passage where this is expressed. Let's go to 2 Kings 6, verses 14 through 16. It's in the Old Testament. And this is a story of Elisha. We're looking at uh, 2 Kings 6, verses 14 through 16 is what we're going to go look at tells of the prophet Elisha, another prophet, who was in Dotham, the city of Dotham, and the Syrian king was dispatching his army to overtake um, Elisha. We'll start at verse 13, and it says here, go, this is the king here, the king of, of Syria, he says, go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. He's talking about Elisha, he wants to capture Elisha. The report came back, he is in Dotham. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. So here is Elisha being surrounded by these horses and these chariots and this strong force. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the next, the, the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. He's speaking to Elisha here. 
Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, I think this is so interesting, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of, of, of fire all around Elisha. So he could see, Elisha had, had prayed for him to be able to see the protection that was around him, the angels that were protecting him. Um, normally in their state, obviously, we can't see them. We're not even, we don't even look to see these things. But here is a passage in scripture that says, yeah, yes, these angels surrounded Elisha at this time. In some of these books, too, there's stories of, of and I, I, I didn't quote them, but uh, I didn't, I'm not going to get specific about them, but of missionaries who had that exact same thing happen, where they're just completely protected by any activity for where they should have been killed or, or martyred, but there was for some reason this protective seal, shield around them. I remember um, a, one of a personal experience that I that I did have in sort of regard to this. Uh, my daughter, I was telling her this weekend. I had completely forgot about this story, but I was telling her I was talking. I'm going to talk about angels this week, and she said, "You remember the story about Kelby?" And I go, oh, I, I, "I totally had forgotten about it." Kelby is her son, and when he was three years old. It was the night of my son, you all, I've heard my story before, um, of my son who had cancer. And he had his first brain surgery, and Jenny had arrived back at my house after that night, back at the surgery, of his first surgery. And it was, she was sitting in our, um, our house, in the bathroom, clipping her kids' toenails. It was an ordinary thing. Her three-year-old at the time, Kelly, looked up and said, Mom, I see an angel. And um, Jenny, and then she tried to get more information out of a three-year-old, but she didn't even know how a three-year-old even knew about that. Um, and we asked Kelly, who was sitting at the table this Sunday, and we asked him about it, if he could give us more detail, if he remembered anymore. Of course, he didn't. He's now seven and doesn't, didn't have any more details on that. But Jenny said that gave her such comfort, because during that whole time, she's at the, at the lowest point in her life, God had sent an angel and spoke through her three-year-old son. Just think what a precious story that is. Um, I just think that it's just an intriguing thought to think about how many times that we may have been rescued by angels. Um, how many times you may have been saved from certain peril that was headed your way. Indeed, God has placed a hedge of protection around his sons and daughters, those believers. Uh, and I believe that often it is angels that are around us. I want to know if any of you have a, short, a similar story that you want to share around your table of a protection or a time when you felt just a, a sense that maybe um, there was a little extra protection around a situation that you had, a car accident or a, anything in your life that maybe you would have to share. We'll give you a few, a few minutes to see if you have anything. Some of you just jumped in on that one. I think there are some exciting stories out there. I, just out of curiosity, I mean, we don't know, but how many maybe have the possibility of, of having an angel save them? Anybody want to? There are some possibilities out there. I mean, it, it's just such an amazing thing to think that we would even have that in our life. I love this account in Billy Graham's book. Um, and he talks about Corey Ten Boom, who is a source that I do trust. And she talks about her experience going into the, that terrible, um, that Ravens, the Ravensbrook prison camp. This is what she says. You may have heard this story before, but it's just really fascinating. It says, Together we entered the terrifying building, she and Betsy, at a table where women who took away all our possessions. Everyone had to undress completely and then go to a room where her hair was checked. I asked a woman who was busy checking the possessions of the new arrivals if I might use the toilet. She pointed to a door and I discovered that the convenience was nothing more than a hole in the shower room floor. Betsy stayed close beside me all the time. Suddenly, I had an inspiration. Quick, take off your woolen underwear, I whispered to her. I rolled it up with mine and laid the bundle in a corner with my little Bible. The spot was alive with cockroaches, but I didn't worry about that. 
I felt wonderfully relieved and happy. The Lord is busy answering our prayers, Betsy, I whispered. We shall not have to make the sacrifice of all our clothes. We hurried back to the row of women waiting to be undressed. A little later, after we had our showers and put on our shirts and shabby dresses, I hid the roll of underwear and my Bible under my dress. It did bulge out, obviously, through my dress, but I prayed, Lord, cause now thine angels to surround me and let them not be transparent today, for the guards must not see me. I felt perfectly at ease. Calmly, I passed the guards. Everyone was checked from the front, the side, the back. Not a bulge escaped the eyes of the guard. The woman just in front of me had hidden a woolen vest under her dress. It was taken from her. Then they let me pass, for they did not see me. Betsy, right beside me, was searched. But outside waited another danger. On each side of the door were women who looked everywhere over for a se- everyone over for a second time. They felt over the body of each one who passed. I knew they would not see me, for the angels, angels were still surrounding me. I was not even surprised when they passed me by, but within me rose the jubilant cry, O oh Lord, if thou dost so answer prayer, I can face even Ravensbrook unafraid. I love that story. Angels are also observers. Um, it says in 1 Corinthians 4.9, We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, as well as to, man, to men. They're there watching us. Um, I just think that is amazing. You know, in the story of the lost coin, when um, Jesus told of the, of the coin that was lost, and that the angels will be um, rejoicing in heaven. They're watching what we do. Just a question to answer around your table. Um, if, he, if we do indeed have multitudes of angels watching us, as Paul has stated above and as, as Jesus stated in the parable, how might that affect how you go about the daily business in your lives? Will that change how you do things? Does that make any difference? Well, I don't, we're running a little bit close tight on time so I don't want to go into that too much because we, we know God is watching us and Jesus, and that's so much more important than angels watching us but just sort of an interesting side note to think that, that angels also are witnessing what we're doing here on earth just, a, just another whole dimension there that I really hadn't even considered that much um, another point I wanted to do another thing that angels are all about um, they, they never draw attention to this themselves but they always bring glory to God I think we need to really remember that. Um, it's not about us. It's about bringing glory to God. Um, in the last book of the Bible, in the Revelation, John was given the whole revelation by angels. And I just want to list to look at that. Turn, in, turn to Revelation the, chapter 1, verse 1. going to look at that first verse there and then I'm going to flip to the end of the, of the book. It says in chapter 1 verses 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testifies to everything that he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So everything that he saw, everything that's in this revelation came by an angel. Then let's look back in, in Revelation um, 22. And this is at the very end of the revelation. And we're going to start in verse 8. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and, and had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But, you always take note when we see the word but, but he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God, he says. So this angel is making sure that because of this amazing thing that happens to us, we don't worship angels. We worship God. And that's what they're all about. Um, so they never... So we are reminded then never to worship angels. 
Another thing that angels do is they're said to guide us, to help us, to rescue us. And we're going to look at that in uh, the story, another amazing one in Acts, verse, chapter 12, verses 1 through 17. I love this account in Acts chapter 12 because it's after the Holy Spirit had already come to the believers. So some, some people think that angels only happened in the Old Testament. But this shows where angels are active in the life of the believer after he had the Holy Spirit. This is the story of Peter when he's in that jail, jail, jail cell. We're going to look at Acts chapter 12 and read through several ch- verses here. It was about this time that King Herod, and starting in verse 1, arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So so James had already died. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Go down to verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But, I love this but again, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood a guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. Here is a glorified state of an angel again. The light appeared in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he says. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. just love this account. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel said. He's very practical there. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first guard and the second guard and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. He was gone. And then Peter came to his senses. He came to himself. He said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and they were praying. Peter knocked at the entrance, outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda, I love, she's got a name and everything, came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed and she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter's at the door! You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. I think that's really interesting. They believed in angels. They thought, no way could it be Peter, it must be an angel. I mean, that would have been my second thought, too. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Notice he gives glory to the Lord. It was the angel that was accompanying him, but he gave glory to the Lord who brought him out of, out of prison. I love that story. So angels are sent to guide us. Um... Just another side note, a lot of people want to know, are there guardian angels? And in and, and one of the books that I have, they just have good questions and answers. And, and um, this, I just quoted um, his answer to this question. Because a lot of people in the story where Jesus was referring to the children, he said, um, and I guess I didn't reference this passage, but it says, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And so Jesus is referring that this little, these children have, um, the angels have a, a special um, place with, with um, God in heaven. And so, so the idea that we have guardian angels has come to be. So do we have guardian angels? This is his answer. Although it is not uniformly held, belief or in guardian angels is a long-standing idea in Christian dating to the earliest years of the faith. In Matthew's passage, Jesus appears to be gesturing toward a child who is nearby. It may indeed be that Jesus is stating that each child has a guardian angel, but Jesus may also be simply saying that angels assign the mission of protecting children. Not necessarily individual guardian angels have access to God the Father. 
Similarly, the reference to an angel guarding Peter in Acts 12.15, the one that we just looked at, may not be a personal guardian angel assigned to Peter throughout his life, but rather an angel assigned the task of protecting him during that specific time. There is a long and rich tradition of Christian belief in guardian angels, but there is nothing in the Bible that definitely proves or disproves their existence as angels, whose sole function is the protection of a specific individual. So there may be, there may not be. Belief or disbelief regarding them is not a central doctrine of faith and is an area where there is room for agreement, disagreement, or uncertainty on this subject. And I quoted what John Calvin said, but whether individual angels have been assigned to individual believers for their protection, I dare not affirm with confidence. Um, I, I have another question here. From all these different things that they do, they're more messengers, they're worshipers, angels worship, they protect us, they observe us, they guide us. Um, is there a certain activity above that, that comforts you or that you need specific help with right now? And if that if there is, then share it around your tables. There's so many other things that we hear them, that angels do. They give revelation. They give prophecies. They, they tell... They gave Jesus sustenance when he was... Um, in that garden, or when he was tempted by Satan, there's just so many, so many activities of these multitudes of Satan's around him. One of my favorites is this last um, um, ministry that they do, and that is that angels gather the elect and carry us into God's presence. Presence. Angels gather the elect and carry us into God's presence. Billy Graham says, just as an angel was in Christ's resurrection, so will angels keep us in faith, in death. Only one thin veil separates our natural world from the spiritual world. Christ both vanquished death and overcame the dark threats of the evil fallen angels. So now God surrounds death with the assurance of angelic help to bring pulsing light out of the darkness of that experience for believers when we inherit the kingdom of God. The next thing I'm going to share with you is a personal story for, um, of, a, of um, something that is very dear to my heart, um, but also very hard. Um, and it, it has to do with my son at his, at his death. Um, and if you know anything about me, you know I cannot lie. I do not tell stories very well because I don't exaggerate. I can't do that. I just tell what is and um, so take that for you, what it's worth when I tell you the story. Um, and a lot of this I'm just going to read because it was from my journal and I can't really tell the story very well. It was February 2nd, 2012. My son Tad was at the end of a two-year, four-month battle with melanoma brain cancer. He had been completely bedridden for the last 14 months when the left side of his body was affected by the tumor. This is what I wrote in my journal. I had spent the night in Tad's room on the couch along with my husband who was sleeping on the floor. It was a fitful night of sleep. I woke woke around 8 and was the only one in the room at the time with Tad. I went over to check on him and saw that his eyes were open looking at me. Up until then, his eyes had mostly been closed. He would occasionally open them to acknowledge he was coming into the room to visit or if he needed something, but for the most part, his eyes were closed as he was drifting in and out. On that Thursday, his eyes were open, and it was as if he was trying to tell me something or to remember all of our faces or to cling to life afraid to close them for the last time. I don't know why, but for the entire day, his eyes were open watching us. Because of that, I didn't want to be—I didn't want him to be alone. We kept asking him if he needed something. He was way too weak to take to the bathroom and hadn't eaten anything in days. He wasn't opening his mouth or to even take liquids. I dropped a couple of drops of water from a straw or spooned in a little ice chip for him to drink. I remember looking into those deep blue eyes and crying, tears running down my face, telling him how much I loved him and that we'd be okay. Earlier in the week, when his eyes were closed and I knew he was drifting away, I had begged God that I just wanted to see his smile one more time. His big, beautiful smile, that smile that had lit up the room so many times before in those months taking care of him. But no smile had come. 
Throughout that Thursday, one of us was always in the room with Tad. And as I think back, even though he was getting weaker and weaker and that he could go any time, it still seemed much like the many days before. We talked to Tad a lot that day, kept reading to him from the many stories that people shared about Tad on his Caringbridge site. As I mentioned before, Tad's eyes were open this whole day, and, and then till late in the afternoon, his friend, Rosie, stopped by around 4.30 and spent a little time with him. She was with him for about 30 minutes, and when we went back into the room after she left, Tad's eyes were closed, and from that moment on, they stayed closed. Around 7, another friend and one of Tad's friends stopped by. We all left the room again, and she had a few minutes with him. His eyes no longer opened up. He seemed calm and peaceful. Around 8.15, I was in Tad's room reading some more Caringbridge posts, maybe around another half dozen more that had come in. We'd asked Tad's friends to post stories of him and they re- how they remembered him so that he could, we could read them to him. And stories of funny things that he'd done or things they remembered about him to help bring a little joy into our days. <clears throat> I just finished reading the last one when for some reason I decided to refresh the page again. Jenny, my daughter, was in the room with me at the time, standing on the other side of the bed with me, and there was a new post that just came in from a Teresa Houston. I have no idea who she is. She'd never posted before. She wrote about a, she um, wrote about a past experience about a friend of hers that was dying and close to that death. This is what she wrote. We can remember that the Lord's presence was thick in the air as well as packed with angels tending to our friend, and we have no doubt that you, Tad, are experiencing God Almighty in a similar way. I paused, and I read that back to him again. It said, Tad, we can remember that the Lord's presence was thick in the air as well as packed with angels tending to our friend, and we have no doubt that you, Tad, are experiencing God Almighty in a similar way. I wanted to make sure that he heard what I had just read. Then for some reason I asked him, Tad, are you experiencing God's presence and the presence of angels right now? For the first time that evening, Tad's eyes opened, and there was a small but distinct smile on the right side of his face. His left side was not working due to the tumor. Jenny described the exact same smile to me later. She said it was just the right side curling distinctly up. I asked Ted again if, if he was really experiencing God's presence, and this time his eyes went up. I sat there amazed at what had just happened. We had lost completely any communication with Tad by then. No squeezing of the finger, no thumbs up or down as we had done earlier in the week. Earlier in the day he had raised his eyebrows for yes and closed his eyes for no, but since late afternoon there had been nothing, and now this amazing sight. I didn't know it then, but that was the last time Tad would open his eyes and, would see, and I would see his smile the sight of heaven. He entered into heaven on February 4th, 2012 at 7 a.m. Jesus tells us in John 14, verses 1 through 3, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, and that you also may be where I am. He also tells us in Luke 16.22 in the parable of the rich man and the beggar, that when the time came, when the beggar died, the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Oh, what a comfort for a mom to have the witness through her son's smile on his deathbed, these truths from God's word. After studying angels these past few months, I came to um, some personal observations that I just wanted to close with. Um, and I wanted you to consider. The first one is the importance of prayer in a lot of these encounters. If you recall, Daniel was praying and fasting. Peter, when he's in that jail cell, there were these people praying. The church was praying for him, it said. When Jesus was ministered, Two, in the garden, when he was at the point where he was perspiring blood and he was praying to God, he saw an angel and the angel came and ministered to him. When we pray, we are asking not only for God to help us, but also maybe for angels to be ministering to us in the spiritual realm. And I think that is just powerful. 
Second thing I want you to consider is how little that Jesus actually mentions or teaches about angels in the scripture. I always, whenever I teach them something, I like to go back to the Gospels and see, okay, what did Jesus have to say about this? So I don't want to put too much importance on something if it wasn't something that Jesus taught about. And he didn't really teach about it a lot, but he talked about it a lot. A lot of his life was surrounded by angels. He talks about the rejoicing of the angels in the presence uh, of God over one sinner who repents. So he definitely acknowledges um, the existence of angels. But although he doesn't teach a lot about it, he acknowledges their existence and everywhere we can see as we read through the Gospels, their presence assisting him. Um, And I also, I I put on there this, this is his last prayer to the believer, to us, because it's to us, those that weren't even alive then also. In that prayer, he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And is Jesus asking for protection for angels in part? He might be. I think that's really neat. The third thing that I put on your notes is that I was struck by is the incredible love that God has for us. Um, the angels represent part of that. That beyond Jesus' death is death on the cross, as if that wasn't enough. That God provided for us in the invisible realm these ministering spirits in our time of need and the very real struggles that we face. How that shows his incredible love for all of of his believers. Um, Just want to close today in in a prayer time. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for all of these women around these tables. I thank you for how you care for us in so many different ways, Lord Jesus. You sacrificed your all for us. And then in the spiritual realm, there's also another whole dimension that we don't even see or or, or think about, but are at your disposal to help us in our time of need. I just pray for these ladies as they go about their business, Lord. I just pray that they take a little nugget of whatever it is that that has meant something to them and it will expand their awareness of who you are, the awe of who you are, the incredible, amazing um, God who loved us and sacrificed his all for us. I ask for you to continue to protect us, protect this church, protect our leadership, And and guide us all, Lord Jesus, to come to um, a greater knowledge of who you are. We thank you and we praise your name. Amen.